this is how God Richard Bull and I help lead the Oaks Community Church. Today I'm talking about another in the series, What Did Jesus Say About? And today's subject is servanthood. Now I've been reading a job description. It's quite a long one, but at the back there are a couple of pages here with the personnel spec and it's only got eight points. And it's those eight points that I want to talk about today. The first is that we are servants of the king. In Matthew 18, verse 23, Jesus said, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And although this is a parable, we cannot lose sight of that king servant relationship. It's absolutely central to servanthood in the kingdom. You see, God is sovereign and we are his indentured servants. He is the creator. We are the created. And we're not alone in that either, because in John 18, verse 36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. Now, Jesus was referring to the angels. But the point here is quite clear that all creation, whether humanity or angels, we are created primarily as servants of God. The second point is that it is a job which appeals to the ambitious. Now I say that slightly with tongue in cheek because Jesus says in Mark 9 verse 35, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And this deals a pretty severe body blow to our egos. If we're the servant of all, then we are the servant of all the other servants. <laughs> we are basically at the bottom of the pile. It says that here in the job description somewhere. We serve without discrimination. We don't need to think where we are in the pecking order because we are quite literally at the bottom. It is a position of humility and that is actually good for our souls and is one from which we're not going to ever be promoted. In John 13 verse 16 Jesus said very truly no servant is greater than his master and as Jesus remained a servant all his life guess what we are destined to remain servants all of our lives too. But Jesus I did think was trying to appeal to a little bit of our ambition. Again, in Matthew 20, verse 26, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, that appeal to ambition, must be your servant. Now, I believe Jesus wants us to actually be great in the kingdom, all of us to be great in the kingdom, to have a kingdom ambition. And here's that ambition. It is to be a servant like Jesus, not less than him, not greater than him, but like him. That is my ambition 
in the kingdom. We also know that serving is basically the way which we bring blessing into the world. Ed Solbozo, if I can get my words out, one of the grandfathers of the transformation movement, says that when we start to engage and transform communities, we go through a process which starts with blessing that community, then engaging with that community, then ministering to that in community, and finally giving the gospel, bringing the evangelism to bear on that community. But he says before all of that, that we actually move into position through our giving and our service. It's those two things which open the doors into a community in order that we can bring the blessing of God. Thirdly, serving requires diligence, wisdom and faithfulness. Another parable, but in Matthew 24, verse 46, Jesus says it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so. In other words, serving as instructed when he returns. And here there is a sense of faithfulness and diligence, continuing to do what we're told to do and potentially long term. Those servants did not know when their master would be returning. And we are the same, really. There's a saying that been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And after a while, there's a temptation to take the T-shirt off and let other people. But actually, in the kingdom, we wear that T-shirt until eternity comes. And maybe even then we wear it. Who knows? But the point is that there is a diligence, there is a faithfulness, there is an ongoing need to continue serving. Serving. We do not retire in that sense within the kingdom. But within this parable, there's also a, an eternal perspective. It says when he returns, potentially referring to the fact that Jesus is coming back, his second coming. And the end is coming. The end is coming. It may not be in my lifetime, but I'd like to think it was. But potentially it could be. And here's the point. That eternal perspective changes my attitude to serving. It's a bit like that old question, the old chestnut. If, if you, how would you live your life today if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Now, for some, we'd do more of this and do less of that. Other people would say, well, I'd carry on exactly the same. But I think it would change my attitude. And if I knew Jesus was coming back and could come back at any moment, my attitude to serving would also have that eternal perspective. It would make me more faithful, more diligent, more wanting to be like Jesus in terms of excellence. Number four. When we serve, it shouldn't be with a view to thanks, but to honour. I'd better unpack that. Jesus says in Luke 17, verse 10, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We are servants of the king. We don't look to the king of kings for thanks. We don't look to the King of Kings for thanks when we've actually served him. Now, as humans receiving service from somebody else, we are to be givers of thanks. At a human level, yes, 
I give thanks to those that have been serving me. But as a server, I do not look for thanks from God. That's important. What I look to in terms of what God gives is honour. So what did Jesus do? He didn't seek thanks either, but he knew his father's honouring. In Matthew 12, verse 18, he says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. So servants should not be without the thanks of man and neither are they to be without the honour of the father because it is an honour to serve God. It's the honour of God we look for, not the thanks of man, ultimately. That's what really counts. And yet, strangely, this honour is of grace. It's not earned at all. We don't earn it by serving. We serve because we're honoured. It's the other way round. But it's that honouring upon us. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. God speaks that over us. And because we're his sons and are honoured by God, it is that which motivates our service. That is what God gives. Thanks should be <laughs> what others give us but we don't go looking for it. Fifthly, under and in authority. In John 15 verse 20, Jesus says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And in Mark 13 verse 34, it's like a man going away, Jesus says. He lives his house and put his servants in charge each with their assigned tasks and tells the one at the door to keep watch. What the master assigns to us, we do with the authority of the master. That assignment comes with both responsibility on the one hand and authority on the other. And notice here that Jesus also asks one of them to keep watch. What for? For when Jesus returns? Well, Possibly, but Jesus is going to come and it's going to be like the, the lightning from one end of the sky to the other. So why keep watch for that? When Jesus returns, we're going to know about it in no uncertain terms. But that keeping watch could also be rendered very much keep watch for when the master returns. In other words, when the assignment is finished and new assignments are given for when new needs become apparent. And if we've got a server heart, I can't get that out, service heart, then basically we are looking for the needs of others. We are looking to see how we can serve. Sixthly, we're not just servants, but both sons and friends as well. Another parable of Jesus in Luke 15 verse 19 the prodigal son says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And although the prodigal son thinks he can resign his sonship to become a servant, in fact, he retains his sonship. 
That is the attitude of the father towards him. He didn't understand that at the time, but of course, as he comes into the, the bosom, into the heart and the embrace of his father, his father says, you are my love, you are my son. Now, Jesus is also saying something very similar in John 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So we are called into Jesus's confidence. We are his friends. OK, not so that we might resign being servants, but rather being in the confidence of God, being his friend, we might serve with love and greater insight and purpose. We do not resign our servanthood, but we are both servants, friends and sons. They go together. Seventhly, persecution. Yep. It's here in the personnel spec and there are instances all through this job description of persecution. Jesus said in Matthew 21 verse 35, the tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another and stoned a third. So servants get beaten, stoned, killed. It's all part of the persecution. <laughs> Thank goodness it's just a parable, we don't have to take it seriously. But then Jesus says in John 15 verse 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And guess what? Jesus was persecuted and therefore, guess what? We're going to get it as well. But that comes in the job description. At all, all part of the territory, as it were. And finally, point eight, responsibility, growth and privilege. Jesus again said in Matthew 25, verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted wealth to them. Now, we, of course, need to keep watch over our attitudes, over our hearts as, as regards money. We have to have a proper kingdom perspective on it. But those who serve well with money might well expect to be charged with more responsibility for money. So in verse 29, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Matthew 25, verse 21, Jesus carries on this parable and his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Servanthood is a role of learning becoming competent, being stretched and grown. And this, this whole process is one through which we grow as disciples of God. In the parable, one, one of the servants was given one talent, one was given five and another ten or whatever it was. But gradually, as they become more and more competent, you might well imagine that the master lends those servants more and more talents. It's this idea that we continue to grow. And I love that bit at the end. The role that gives the master the greatest happiness is that we serve diligently, 
that we grow, that we develop. We see return on the investment in the kingdom, if you like. He calls us to enjoy that joy with him. That is the reward of servanthood, that we make the master happy and that he calls us into that joy, into that happiness alongside him. I'm going to finish there. The job description you can read in the Bible somewhere, no doubt, but the personnel spec stands. And I hope I've been a little bit provocative today. I hope I've given you something to chew over, to think on, to discuss with others in your group, perhaps. But I want to finish there and leave you to digest what I've said.